Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries of First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org. What beautiful music this morning. We're certainly grateful for our worship team here, for the folks in the back who keep us going online and here with our sound in the sanctuary. We're so grateful for our worship team every Sunday. I want to extend my greetings to you. I'm Reverend J.J. Whitney, and um, also with Pastor Andrea, say welcome to our first-timers and those we haven't seen in the sanctuary in a while. Welcome back. It's so good to see you. A happy Father's Day to you, to your fathers, and all those who father in our lives. We are grateful for you this morning as well. We're going to turn to the gospel according to Mark. We're in the fourth chapter, verses 35 through 41. I invite you to stand as you're able for the reading of the gospel. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let us go to God in prayer. Oh, holy God, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would lead us to the places where our trust is without borders, where our faith may deepen even in chaotic waters. Holy Spirit, be with us now as we meditate on your holy word. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. One of my favorite movies to watch during Christmas time is Love Actually. The actor Hugh Grant plays the Prime Minister of England, and his narration begins the movie. He says, Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General opinion starting to make out that we live in a world of hatred and greed, but I don't see that. It seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of them were phone calls from people on board with messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling that you'll find that love actually is all around. So what always strikes me at the opening of this film is what we human beings do when we are faced with incredible adversity. To whom do we turn? 
What's our first reaction? Do we, as Hugh said, respond with hate or revenge or fear? Or do we have the capacity to respond in love? From the account of Mark's gospel this morning, we certainly see the disciples respond with anxiety in the moment. They are far from feeling the calm and peace in the face of the storm. Jesus asked them to get in the boat and travel to the other side. You know, the disciples have been traveling with Jesus for a while. He's taught, he's cured, he's amazed them. And demons and outsiders to their traveling group have declared Jesus as the son of God. But at this part of Mark's story, the disciples have yet to reach that place of Caesarea Philippi, that moment when we hear Peter say, you are the Messiah. But the disciples know enough at this point that this is no ordinary teacher carpenter from Nazareth. Yet, when they are together in the boat with Jesus and the storm arises, the disciples are not only afraid for their lives, they doubt who Jesus is. The storm's threat is upon them. Water rises to the entrance of the boat. And these are fishermen disciples. I mean, they know what kind of danger is present. And in their panic, they see that Jesus is asleep. So I think we're talking about more than just irritation from the disciples. They wake Jesus and say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? There's a lot in that question. Why are you just sitting there asleep on the job? We thought you were going to take care of us. We have followed you on this crazy adventure and we are going to die on this boat. Jesus doesn't respond with words. He calms the sea. He looks them in the eye and says, why are you afraid? Still, after all this time, you doubt me. So instead of taking in this moment to do a little soul searching, the disciples, they go back to the miracle. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They fail to see that this moment is not about the physical power Jesus has to perform miracles. They fail to see that Jesus' power is in the real presence he has in their lives. As one pastor said, like the disciples, we believe that God is in control of things. But the miracle of this story is that Jesus is with the disciples in that waterlogged, weather-beaten boat. He is experiencing the same storm, the same terrible waves, the same danger. As modern-day disciples, when we meet bad times, we pray to God for deliverance. We want the thing that is causing us to suffer to go away, and we think all will be well. And the challenge as people of faith is to recognize that we're not just witnesses to this difficult moment. We are also citizens in the kingdom of God. And with that citizenship, we have access at all times to the community of the Trinity. So when we are overwhelmed by fear or devastated by pain, we have an opportunity to remember that God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in the boat. The fiction book, Life of Pi, journeys with Pi Patel and his family as they attempt to move zoo animals from India to Canada on a great carrier boat. Now, Pi is the outlier in his family. He knows how to swim, and he has this true desire to, to know and to understand God more. 
Pi doesn't feel the need to prove or justify the existence of God. He understands that the battle for God's existence is internal. As he says, that it is on the inside that God must be defended. The main battlefield for good is not the open ground of the public arena, but the small clearing of each heart. Pi is 16 when they begin the voyage to Canada, and he wakes one evening to find that the ship is sinking. And he's thrown overboard into a lifeboat with an orangutan, a hyena, a zebra, and a great Bengal tiger by the name of Richard Parker. Now, as you can imagine, after a few days, it's just Richard Parker and Pi Patel that remain in that lifeboat. And then the reality hits him. There's a tiger in my lifeboat. And it won't be long before Richard Parker is going to come for Pi Patel. Oncoming death is terrible enough, Pi thinks. Worse still is oncoming death with time to spare. The time in which all the happiness that was yours and all the happiness that might have come to you becomes clear. And I was giving up. I would have given up if a voice hadn't made itself heard in my heart. The voice that said, I will not die. I will make it through this nightmare. I have survived so far. Yes, so long as God is with me, I will not die. So Pi created a raft out of the life preservers on the boat to give himself a little space from Richard Parker. He taught himself to fish. He taught himself to gut turtles, to grow things for more food, to distill the rainwater from the solar stills. He uses his knowledge as a zookeeper's son, his faith in God, and his survival instincts. And Pai Patel realizes that to coexist with a tiger in your lifeboat, you're going to have to learn how to tame the tiger. So he uses an orange whistle from the life preserver, and he teaches, and he tames Richard Parker, and he makes this lifeboat a shelter for sleeping and, and resting and food and a watering hole, and in all the ways he mimics a zoo enclosure for a tiger. And Pai Patel and Richard Parker survived 227 days, seven months, in the Pacific Ocean. It was the rituals of faith that brought Pi comfort on those terrifying, lonely, hungry, and thirsty days. He said, faith in God is an opening up. It's a letting go. It's a deep trust. It's a free act of love. But sometimes it's so hard to love. Sometimes my heart was sinking so fast with anger and desolation and weariness, and I was afraid it was going to sink to the very bottom of the Pacific Ocean. And I would not be able to lift it back up. At such moments, I tried to elevate myself and I tried to remind myself of God. And he said, then the darkness would stir and eventually it would lift and God would remain a point of light in my heart. Now I'd make the case that we're all struggling to coexist with a tiger in the lifeboat. I don't know what your tigers are. But I know in walking with you this year that we have faced illness and death and grief and loss and shame and loneliness with some debilitating anxiety and depression. 
And the power of these things can consume us. And we turn to many things in order to avoid the fact that these tigers are in the lifeboat with us. We try to push down our feelings. We try to numb them with substances or shopping or anger or blaming. Or we think that these feelings are just going to go away. And we must acknowledge that they exist and learn how to coexist with them as we are navigating our way in life. Dr. Jamie Zuckerman is a psychologist in Philadelphia and has said, allowing yourself not to feel okay involves accepting all the feelings and the thoughts, the sensations, and sitting with them until they pass. If you try to avoid them or suppress them or ignore them, they will only grow stronger. The science shows that it can lead to difficulties like disrupted sleep or increased substance abuse, more anxiety and depression, even post-traumatic stress disorder, which will leave you overwhelmed and believing that you cannot cope. What the disciples fail to realize is that the power of God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is not the removal of bad things around us. The Trinity's presence in our lives empowers us to tame those bad things, to make changes in life and the lives around us, to build the kingdom of God in our midst. What we know because of who Jesus is and what Jesus does for us is that we've got a God on our hands who is not controlling things, but a God who is active and present. A God who became one of us so that God could get in the boat with us. It's so difficult to keep our heads above the water, to have faith when we are afraid, but God has given us incredible gifts to deal with adversity and a promise to be with us in it. And we can tap into the presence of God when we are in the middle of the storm. Sometimes all you can do is get yourself in the pew or to utter a desperate prayer, recite the 23rd Psalm or, or come to the communion table. Or call a friend, call a family member, call a church family member. These smallest of rituals be the reminder that the well is there and we are not alone. When I think about my dad this Father's Day, I remember some advice that he gave me. And it was actually advice that was passed down by his own father. When my grandfather had a rough patch in his life or he would be facing a hard day, he would go to bed at night and during his prayer time, my grandfather would hold one thing that he looked forward to the next day. It could be coffee with a friend or a meal at a favorite restaurant. Maybe he was watching a TV show or, or one of his favorite Razorback ball games. Whatever it was, he felt that one good thing could carry him through a ba bad day of things. Now, I've followed this advice all my life. And some days, that one good thing has been the thing that has gotten me out of bed and putting one foot in front of the other for the entire day. During a particularly bad storm, Pi is left with almost nothing. All of his reserves are washed into the water. His lifeboat is in need of repair. And he starts bailing out the water. And he finds something that's going to mean the difference between life and death. 
It's the last of the orange whistles. It's that one good thing that's going to help him tame Richard Parker and stay alive. I wish that God worked in the way that we want to get rid of the things that haunt us or plague us and bring us the things that will give us peace. But as I have learned over these years to coexist with the tigers in my lifeboat, I'm reminded that God is providing for me on a daily basis. I'm given wisdom and clarity. I'm given courage and contentment. And the orange whistles come to me just in the nick of time. I'm reminded in a moment of grace that Jesus is in the boat. It's the one good thing. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks once again for joining us on The Gathering Podcast. Grace and peace, y'all. 